is a word, for those of you that haven't heard me before, Jace often describes me as poetic and practical at the same time. So that's kind of how my headspace works. When you, when you do those kind of personality profile tests, I'm kind of a, a combination of true right, right brain and left brain. So I'm quite measured, analytical and organised, but I have this wayward creative side happening at the same time. And so when I speak, I kind of feel like that that's my lane, is that there's the ability that God ordains my words to have a poetic flavour that's quite creative and abstract, but at the same time I like to land in a way that we can actually do something with it, that we're not necessarily leaving here with just a, a cool concept, but actually things that we can apply. So I want to start with the Word of God. I don't know whether to stand behind it or to the side. See, Joel probably does this cool thing like this, right? And I'm just going to get suitably awkward. I can already feel myself being awkward like that. So I, I feel like... <laughs> no, it's all right. I'll just, I'll just improvise. I don't know. So you, I might be over here a bit and then I'm going to go over there and I'll figure it out. Anyway. And it's not wobbly. Okay. Let's start with the Word of God, which is going to come up on the screens behind me. Matthew 11:28. And this is a statement that Jesus is making about followership. So this is about how to live our lives as disciples. This is an instruction of how to live, how to live this discipleship life. And I'm reading it out of the message version, Matthew 11:28. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And for me, this is like a locating defining hallmark scripture for how I live my life because I love the notion and the model of rhythm that we see in Jesus's life. We see him taking himself away from crowds regularly. He knew when to sleep, he knew when to push through, he knew when to lean in, he knew when to say yes and surprisingly at times he actually said no. And this, this is a rhythm, this sense of Walking with Jesus, working with Jesus, watching how he does it, this rhythm is something that I have prioritised in my own personal life and in doing so have dismissed the notion of balance. Now for some of you that may just be the word that you need to hear tonight but we're only really just getting started but this whole concept of work-life balance or home-life balance is an unattainable pursuit of perfection that we are never called to aspire to and will never have. So releasing ourselves from any pressure that somehow we need to live a balanced life or in fact can live a balanced life in itself is a liberating yet essential task. You see, clearly my life and all of our lives here are not balanced. We don't live balanced life. Balance is a way of describing perfection. It's a way of describing things that are in perfect equilibrium. It's a scientific term to say that there is perfect equality. We cannot live lives like that. You see, some weeks I have this beautiful sense of rest and I can dream and I can write and I feel like I am nailing everything and all my ducks are in a row. Other weeks in my household we live on toast and wear odd socks. There is a sense of there being a lack of balance. And so if we just release ourselves from that notion of balance, that in itself can be liberating and empowering. Jesus doesn't say, 
watch how I live a balanced life. He's calling us to rhythm, rhythm, grace-filled, godly rhythm. You see, rhythm plays the long game. Rhythm recognises that there are seasons in life that ebb and flow, that we have winters and seasons, winters and summers. We have shadow and light. We have sprint and rest. We have seasons where there is great margin and seasons where there isn't. But we can cultivate a sense of rhythm in our life, just like Jesus did. And so I've loved this notion, and it's something that I have held onto and a way that I have lived my life in this ministry and leadership call that I am called to. And yet for a whole manner of reasons over the past sort of 12 months or so, I feel like this pursuit of rhythm has been like trying to catch dust wearing boxing gloves. And I've been lamenting in my spirit to a degree. I've been saying, Jesus, I'm walking with you. I'm working with you in the same ways that I always have. And yet I can't find this sense of rhythm. It feels like it's futile. Where has it gone? Why can't I find the same level of grace-filled rhythm that I have had before? And as I was lamenting about this in my spirit, I felt the Holy Spirit impress upon me in only the way that he can. He said, Em, just be careful that you don't pursue rhythm in place of the rhythm maker. And you see, Father God is the rhythm maker. He must have all our worship, all our attention, all our focus, not clever systems. Because what can happen is that good things can suddenly become ultimate things and we can in turn idolise things that should not be there front and centre before our God. And so by pursuing rhythm over pursuing the rhythm maker, it can make rhythm an idol. And so good things can become ultimate things and when a good thing moves into an ultimate category that it shouldn't be taking our attention and focus off our God what it actually does is become an idol and see God of all he is the maker of all rhythms seasons and stories we see in Isaiah 40 verse 12 who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked out the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? That's our God. He is the orchestrator, the designer of everything. He is the creator of all creation. He is outside creation as we know it because he is the ultimate designer. And it reminded me of this whole notion when I was watching a documentary recently on a guy called Willard Wigan. And he's a microscopic artist. Some of you may be familiar with him. But Willard Wigan makes art, makes sculptures that are tiny enough to fit in the eye of a needle and the head of a pin or on a grain of sand. And these sculptures are painstakingly created by Willard Wigan with self-made tools like tweezers fashioned from eyelashes. And one of Wigan's 
key pet hates is sometimes if he breathes too hard while he is creating, he actually inhales his sculptures <laughs> and has to start again after creating them for hundreds upon hundreds of hours. And as I was watching this documentary on Willard Wigan, it felt like in many ways a symbol and a picture of our lives. You see that there is this masterful designer, artist, who is delicately, precisely designing our existence in ways we cannot even fathom. It is precise and it is beautiful and it is delicate and we're going to represent that visually with some images that are coming up on the screen behind me, I think, hopefully. Eh, yeah, not that one, the first, the one with all the three. That's the one, beautiful. And so what you'll see on the outside here is this is like a representation and what I'm trying to do is I'm pulling quite an abstract, ethereal concept and I'm putting it in a way that can kind of give visual representation and clarity to maybe some of the season and some of the concept that we're in. So you'll see on the outer rim of those circles is we have God, the rhythm maker. This is our God who whispered to create space. Our God who created form and texture and essence out of the vortex of nothingness. Our God who designed galaxies with a murmur. A God who operates outside but around and within time and space and energy. Our God who never ends yet never began. Our God who fashioned the rhythms of time and tide and orbit. This is our God. This is our God we worship and adore and love and praise because this is our God who is magnificently large, who has the sense of that Willard Wigan mastery about him and yet our God pulls us close enough to know the hairs on our head, constantly reminding us that he loves us with an astounding love. That's God, the rhythm maker. And in Isaiah 55, 8, just a good reminder for us of the magnitude of the God that we serve. Is that my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. And so that is God, the rhythm maker, outside everything, around everything, permeating everything. And then further inwards, we have the second layer there. And this is what I like to term our human experience, our human journey. This is what we can see and control. This is where you and I pursue rhythm and we go to work and we live and breathe and we experience life. And so those first two aspects there of that diagram are representing our life. But I want to focus in in the latter part of this message today with the inner core there. So these are two things that we can have a sense of and what I want to hone in on the moment at the moment now is our inner core, is the faith journey. And Mark Connor, who's an Australian minister and pastor and leader who's been involved in church leadership for over three decades, 
he actually came up with that inner core diagram, which he terms as the faith journey. Let me unpack a little bit of what he says about it. He says, there is a mystery to our journey of faith. Everyone is unique and will experience variations in their individual journey, but we're all headed in the same direction, closer to Jesus. It is helpful to view this journey as a circle rather than a linear progression with Jesus at the centre. He is at work at each stage and our goal is not to try and control our growth experience but to draw closer to him in each season. There are no set formulas for spiritual growth nor can we always exactly know where we are but this can give us a sense of where we may And so what I'm trying to do today is I'm trying to take our perspective and hone it in to kind of almost see beneath the surface of what we're living and doing and breathing, what what we're experiencing outside these walls as we go home today may have language for you in terms of this faith journey because we are a work in progress. When we become a Christian, when we become a disciple, we are signing up for a story We are signing up for a glorious adventure. We know, and there are dozens of scriptures that attest to the fact that our faith journey is in fact that. It is a journey. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Or Philippians 1.6 says, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. What a great thing. What a great thing that we have time. What a great thing that we are a work in progress. What a great thing we don't have to have it all figured out right now. And so what this diagram does is it unpacks and defines some of this continuing of good work this being renewed by day by day, that God the rhythm maker is actually orchestrating this. This is what is going on beneath the surface of perhaps that we can see and understand. I don't have time to go into them in all detail, but I just want to start and quickly give you a super quick definition of them all. So we actually start our faith journey. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, you start at the point of awareness. And awareness is, is this is where we begin and sometimes return to. It's accepting the reality of God and his love for us. That can be gradual or it can be immediate. We all have our awareness moment that we can articulate that has occurred to us or maybe hasn't quite yet occurred, but we're in the process of that. And then we're in a circle here. This isn't linear. Remember, this is cyclical. So we move from awareness and then into growth. What happens in growth is this is about learning and belonging. It's about community. You guys are here experiencing growth. It's leaning in with other believers. There may be a sense of struggle at times, but it's about being loved by God and loved by others. Then as part of our faith journey, and some of these steps take months, weeks, some of them take years, decades even. After growth, we move into a phase of what's called contribution, and this is the doing stage of our faith journey, serving, leading. This is active because we now recognize that our faith isn't just about me, it's about us. 
My call is connected to contribution. My process of growth is connected to what I can give. And then somewhere along the line, and you may have hit this at times already, or you may not have, and if you haven't, get ready. There comes a time that's called the wall. A wall that many experience. A wall that is imperative to our growth and transformation. A wall that is necessary to move through to spiritual maturity. A wall that is permitted, even orchestrated by God, the rhythm maker, because it's connected to his creative and transformative plan for our lives. Mark Connor defines the wall like this. The wall is a face-to-face experience with God and our own will. This stage is deep and it's inward. It almost always comes as an unsettling experience, yet results in healing and breakthrough for those who will continue through it. You see, up until now, our journey of faith has had quite an external dimension to it. The community of faith, serving with our gifts, leading others. Upon entering the wall stage, however, many people experience a period of questioning, exploring, doubting and uncertainty. This wall can be caused by a life or a faith crisis because the first time our faith does not seem to work how it has before. Our answers seem inadequate. This time is a critical experience, a time of mystery, a time of wrestle. It's a pivotal stage. Now get this, not all have the courage to fully engage with it and in turn move through it, so therefore get stuck here. So that definition may give you language or a visual diagram for where you may have been, where you in fact may be right now, a faith crisis. Now let me be clear here, these walls are not designed to make you stuck. They are actually doorways to greater intimacy because notice what is on the other side of the wall. It is surrender. And Jesus is always desiring, longing us to be in a position of greater surrender. More of him, less of me. Because as we move through these walls, we learn again or more about the concept of providence. That just as Job says in Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Though I don't understand God, though everything about my life or my faith is being questioned at this wall, I will move into surrender. I will give myself over to you, God, now that it's hard, now that I'm well beyond the honeymoon stage, now that I'm well beyond awareness and growth, now that the rubber has actually hit the road in my discipleship journey, that I will surrender to you, O God, even though I am left now perhaps with more questions than answers. Because interestingly enough, after surrender, we have paradox. 
And this is again where we are struggling with the ambiguities and the tensions and the liminal spaces about God. All that stuff that actually doesn't make sense. The scriptures that seem to contradict each other. The friend that is suffering with this thing that doesn't seem to make any sense. That couple that are longing for a baby that can't seem to have a baby every, even though everything is, seems to be right in that place. That person that's been diagnosed with cancer who has given their life to God. All of those ambiguities and paradoxes and liminal spaces we wrestle through. And then out the other end of that, we come to love. Truly and experiencing that God is love, not just in a generic way. Not just in a cute thing to put on the front of your phone. Not just a cute statement to say, but actually a deeper personal way that God is love. He is love, an unrelenting, astonishing, absolutely unconditional love. That is where we arrive. And so it's not unusual for these stages to overlap. It's not unusual for us to return to some and we seem to begin again. And so the truth about this is recognising that there are probably three key points that I want to bring out as I come towards the end of this. Is that firstly, if you are in a wall have come up against a wall, are moving through a wall, or are not yet to find a wall, you are here amidst friends and comrades and peers, that we are designed to do this together in community. There is such power in other people leaning in and saying, yes, I'm there too. My experience is different to you, my circumstance, my context is different, but, but yes, I too am feeling like I am here. Second thing to recognise about the wall is that it is not outside your faith experience. It is your faith experience. This is the journey, friends. This is the discipleship journey. The wall, you haven't landed up at the wall because you've done something wrong or necessarily that the enemy is going after you. You're at the wall because the rhythm maker has designed and orchestrated that at so that you can be brought into a place of greater surrender. He is giving us opportunities to grow. Pastor Phil says trials are a compliment from God. It means he wants you to grow. It means he loves you enough and believes you in, in you enough that he does, doesn't want you to stay where you are. So walls are there to develop us, to grow us. It is not a lapse of the journey. It is the journey. There is hope, however, at the wall. I'm going to finish this up today by giving us three things that we can do at the wall. That when we're faced with the wall, and we might be stuck at these walls for days or decades, I know friends and people that have come up against walls and done everything they can and yet still they can't break through. And you've got to wrestle that out. You've got to wrestle the tensions, friends. We're not the rhythm maker. He is. If we knew why everything happens the way it did, we would be God. We've got to accept that there is just stuff we don't get and don't understand and we can't intellectualize or opinionize or give great concepts out of it. 
three things we can do at the wall, three tools that I have learnt that if you are feeling stuck in that life or that faith crisis, how can you make your wall a doorway? How can you make your wall a doorway not to get stuck there but to actually walk through it to surrender? First one is to worship like David. Psalm 13.6. We find David in a literal cave an actual cave, not a metaphorical cave, an actual cave. And he's been abandoned and he's fled Gath and he is without his friends and he feels abandoned by God. And he's in this wall-like faith crisis. And he says in Psalm 13, 1, 2, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Sounds like what we say at a wall, doesn't it? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And yet the chapter ends in verse 6. After David has lamented and welded like he often does. Psalm 13 verse 6. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. The power and praise at the wall, friends, cannot be denied. We don't start a service like this with songs just to make us feel good, just because there's great echoing reverb in this room. It's a wall-breaking strategy that opens our spirit up and declares the goodness of God. It is aligning and it is shifting. And many a times we need to belt out those songs of praise and worship in our car and in the shower and as you go for a run and as you do exercise and as you come down here on the altar, that there is power in your praise because it's declaring something with your tongue that makes your spirit and heart catch up with. We can say it and then eventually we can feel it. We don't feel it and then say it. There is power in our words and power in our praise. So worshipping like David can literally break a wall. One of our pastoral staff said it like this. I've had a recent revelation to turn my wall of worry into a sound of praise. Worrying will not add to my life, it only takes it away. When I choose to make a decision to take a position of praise, I see my posture and attitude change. Wall-breaking strategy number one, worship like David. Wall strategy number two, do like Peter. We know full well most of us the story of Peter denying Jesus that's told in all four Gospels. We know that later Peter meets Jesus again after this denial and and Peter tells Jesus of his love and devotion. However, between those two parts of the narrative, there is a wall. A wall where Peter has an absolute faith crisis of why the heck did I deny my Saviour? Why did I do that? Who am I? What the heck is going on? Who, who have I become? And Peter laments and he's on this in, inner devastating journey. And we see in Luke 22, 60, that Peter went out and wept bitterly. He's questioning everything, everything about himself, everything about his faith. And yet in John 21, 30, between these two parts of the story, we find that Peter goes out and goes fishing. 
Now, Peter is still at the wall. He's stuck. He's lamenting. He's convicted. He's feeling guilty. He's feeling a magnitude of a whole other heap of emotions. And he doesn't know what to do. But what does he do? He does what he has always done. And he goes and fishes. Peter the fisherman. He returns to something normal and familiar. You see, a wall-breaking strategy, a wall-breaking tool can so often be just doing the ordinary familiar. Turning up on Sundays. Coming here, coming to dinner church, serving in your community, doing the things you have already done and always done. There can be such power in the ordinary over the radical. Sometimes at a wall, we feel like we want to hit the wall with everything we can find and do all these extreme measures of breaking through. And sometimes that is what God calls us to do. But sometimes I know he calls us just to keep showing up. Do what you've always done. Be who you've always been. Lead how you've always lead. Turning up at church, serving, attending a connect group, whatever that may look like. You see, this is my own personal experience. Over the past 12 months, I've been faced with a significant wall. And I had conversations with Jace, my husband, and I'm like, I feel like I need to do something radical to break through this. I feel like I need to go on a sabbatical or see a godly counsellor or go away on a retreat. And all those things can be great and sometimes necessary, but it wasn't like I quite had the unction or the grace to actually do any of them. But what did I do? I just kept showing up. I kept leading. I kept writing. I kept worshipping. Sunday after Sunday, week after week, doing just like Peter, doing like I've always done. And here's the beautiful thing about that story, is that as Peter goes fishing, Jesus comes to him. Jesus meets Peter at the shoreline. Peter didn't have the capacity to go to Jesus. He was so riddled with guilt and shame and confusion and difficulty, he couldn't go to Jesus. But Jesus came to him. Jesus stood at the shoreline, called and saw Peter, and Peter runs out the boat to his Jesus. And that is my own experience. As I have just done, as I have always done, in the ordinary, everyday, what I'm gifted to, what I'm called to, my Jesus has met me at the shoreline in his beautiful, profound grace, carrying me through from now what has become a wall to what has become a doorway to another level of intimacy. Third and final, this isn't a prescriptive list by any means. This is just three that I have studied and come up with. Third and final wall-breaking strategy, declare like Martha. Martha's brother, Lazarus, is dead, we see in John 11. Mary and Martha are lamenting, sorrowful. Why didn't you come, Jesus? You knew. Why didn't you come and heal him? 
Jesus hasn't done what they expected him to do. Their faith hasn't worked like they expected it to work. In fact, how it has worked previously, they are at a faith and a life crisis. And after Jesus arrives at their house, Jesus turns up and John eleven twenty five, Jesus asks Martha, he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live and even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Get this. Do you believe this? Martha is waiting for an explanation. Martha is waiting for why, why answer my question, Jesus? Why didn't you come? Why is Lazarus dead? I am at a wall here, Lord, and I need answers to my questions. Jesus provides no answers to her questions. He just wants her to declare who he is. Who am I, Martha? Am I still your Lord and God? Even though this hasn't worked the way you expect it to, can you still declare that I am good? Can you still declare that I am in control? Can you still declare that I am your Saviour and your King, even though I'm not going to give you an explanation of why this has occurred? declare like Martha. So often in our wall experience, we are waiting for answers. And Jesus is just saying, tell me who you think I am. Am I your God, even though? Am I still your King, even though? Am I still your Lord, even though? Because once we wrestle that out, once we declare his goodness and his lordship and his kingship, it leads us to that place of surrender. So my hope and prayer, friends, is to remind us to reiterate that this Christian journey is complex and glorious and profound, but it's an adventure we will only ever have a glimpse of because God, the rhythm maker, encapsulates all. He holds us all in the palm of his hands. And we're going to come around now to a time of communion, which I think is at the back. Hey, there we go. That was the cue, ladies and gentlemen. And what I want us to do, friends, is we're going to grab communion in a moment. And what I really feel to do in this moment is just to have a posture and disposition of surrender. A posture and a disposition of surrender. So you may not be at a wall right now. If you had to pinpoint yourself on that journey I've just articulated, you, you could perhaps pinpoint yourself. Some of you may find this complete mumbo jumbo and like, I don't even know what she's talking about. But if you could pinpoint yourself on the wall, what I know without a shadow of a doubt is that we are given continual opportunities for greater surrender. That's the journey that we're on. Less of us, more of him.